Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Quick note before today's episode begins, a lot of you uh, might be expecting coverage of yesterday's events in court around the Gameshi case. Well, we're watching that very closely. And as we learned yesterday, the complainant in that case was Catherine Burrell, who is uh, on the record as a close friend of mine. So this is a delicate aspect of the Gameshi story for me to engage with. I'm watching the coverage closely. I'm figuring out whether or not I'm the right person to talk about it at all, or if we're going to put other people on that. And we should have some coverage for you in the days to come. Vincent McDermott and Cullen Bird, journalists with Fort McMurray today, Fort McMurray evacuees. Yeah, pretty much. Sounds right. Speaking to me from the offices of the Edmonton Journal. Our new home. Welcome to Canada Land Shortcuts. Thank you. Thanks. Today we're just going to be talking about coverage of the fire. We're going to be talking about the domestic coverage and some of the debates around it, and some of the things that people got wrong and things that people got right. And we're going to talk about the international coverage and we're going to talk about some of the strange things that happened on social media that were uh, helpful and, and maybe not so helpful. Thank you both for being here so much. Thanks for having us. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Bruce Charland, Philippe Doyon Poulain, Katie Bristow, Duarte De Silva, Emmett Mello, David Alexander, Karen Suzuki, and Jonathan Wong. Jonathan, why did you decide to be awesome? Because you guys got a great team and your heart's in the right place. 
Today's episode is also brought to you by ShipStation. So what is ShipStation? ShipStation is for this growing economy of people who are making things, real things, in, in real space with their real hands, but selling them through the internet. And this is a great way to ship them. When you are selling online, getting your orders out the door quickly can be tough. And that is why you need ShipStation. ShipStation is the fast and easy way to manage and ship your orders all from one place. Helps you get your orders out quickly and keep customers happy. Doesn't matter if you're selling things on eBay or Amazon or Shopify or Etsy or 65 other selling channels. It's all integrated. You can use ShipStation to create shipping labels that are compatible with Canada Post, UPS, FedEx. You will ship more in less time with the best rates available. And that is why ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers in North America. Don't wait. Go to ShipStation.ca. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. Type in Canada Land. That's ShipStation.ca. Enter Canada Land. Today's episode is also brought to you by our initial launching original sponsor, FreshBooks.com. FreshBooks, of course, lets you create professional-looking invoices in seconds. You can accept credit card payment on your invoice. That's one of the reasons why FreshBooks clients tend to get paid like four to five days quicker than if you're just invoicing using Microsoft Word. You will know when your invoice has been viewed. You can create estimates and quotes with FreshBooks. You can send recurring invoices to your regular clients. There is effortless expense capture. I like the mobile app. I just take pictures of my receipt. I enter in the details about it. And then you just like round them all up and say, assign all of these expenses to your clients. And all of that expense work is done. You can throw out all those little pieces of paper that you'd be making your wallet get fat. Check out freshbooks.com. Try it out for free for 30 days. When you become a customer, tell them Canada Land sent you. You will be doing the show a favor. Thank you, FreshBooks. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month 
at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. We've seen lots of heart-stopping video of smoke and flames devouring the city of Fort McMurray this week. Fire crews are doing their best to stop the flames, but they just keep spreading. The estimate has not changed from 1,600 buildings destroyed, damaged. The fire, now nicknamed the Beast, has already burned nearly 400,000 acres in Alberta. It has destroyed an entire town, forced nearly 90,000 people to evacuate in so doing. Families have lost homes. Some neighborhoods were reduced to ash, but Fort McMurray is far from destroyed. So there, I think we have a sense of just how contradictory some of the media reports were, and I think just some of the information was. Vincent, you tweeted that you just saw a media map of the fire, and you tweeted, looks like I am now homeless, might as well keep reporting. Quite extraordinary that you, in the face of learning that your home uh, had burned down, kept reporting, but that turned out not to be the case. Yeah, uh, so it is within that red area of the map that was tweeted out, but it turns out there is quite a bit of heat and smoke damage to it, I've been told, but it's still standing and it's probably still going to be livable eventually. But for 72 hours, I truly and honestly did believe that it was gone. What can we make of this? And, and we are certainly absolutely guilty of this here at Canada Land in those early hours when we were reporting on it and all we heard was these are the most terrible circumstances. This is going to be weeks. Then we heard months before the fire is going to be extinguished. We heard that it doubled in size, then quadrupled. We knew that every single person had been evacuated. We heard that a hospital was on fire. And then we saw the first images coming out of the Beacon Hill neighborhood that just looked like absolute post-nuclear devastation. And we went with the headline, Fort McMurray is gone. And that turned out to be a very unfortunate headline that I think we have to apologize for. I mean, it's certainly confusing from here. And then we hear now that 90% almost of buildings in Fort McMurray were spared and that the critical infrastructure looks like it's okay. In the fog of this fire, in the confusion, was it just those of us from afar who were so misled or, or, you know, why did the exaggerated reports get out and, and, and did it seem any clearer close up? Social media is great, but also, I mean, I saw some of these rumors just from people on social media as well, and I have a feeling that's why it just uh, got out of hand the way it did. I'm not blaming social media entirely on this, though. It's just... These things always seem to happen during breaking news of a crisis. Like, I remember during the uh, shooting in Ottawa, I was seeing reports that there was a sniper on the roof of Parliament Hill, which, of course, turned out to be ludicrous. Yeah, there was just a a lack of information on all fronts, even among the evacuees. A lot of people saw the flames very close to their homes. And so, you know, some people thought that all of Abbasand was gone. No question, there's significant damage there, but uh, there were significant structures and number of homes saved there. So people got out with the information they had and then for, you know, 24, 48 hours, they didn't have access to a whole lot more. Personally, I can't imagine the rumors that would probably be spreading around and maybe even getting reported if it wasn't for the municipality's Twitter account since they left their staff up in Fort McMurray. But I mean, after spending a few nights in these evacuation centers, I mean, when people found out I was with media, people would come up to me and they would be asking me all these things like, oh, is it true the hospital is, is gone? Is it true City Hall is gone? Or I heard half of Timberley is destroyed, that sort of thing. 
You bring up the uh, the Wood Buffalo Twitter account. That was not messaging from a journalist. That was the municipality. But that became one of the most accurate sources of information and, and an incredible resource. And I mean, it's sort of what I noticed in your, your reporting, both of you, the disparity between what local news was focused on versus what national and international news was focused on. The big, incredible pictures was what I think national news reports were interested in. And the, the sense of like, in a general sense, how big is it? is it? Is it as big as Calgary? Is it bigger? Versus the sort of more functional reporting that you guys were putting out of just where people are supposed to go, how people can get resources or find out about their loved ones. And then we've got this municipality Twitter account. Can you tell me just a little bit about the Wood Buffalo Twitter account and the purpose it served during the worst of it? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny because I looked up the tweet that they sent out exactly a week ago and it was about garbage pickup. The thing is, they, the, the municipality, they left communication staff on the ground. And I mean, they have direct access to the firefighters doing reconnaissance of the area and of the fire. So basically, they, they have become kind of a local emergency broadcast system. And is that manned by somebody who like stayed behind when everyone else left? Is that what you were saying? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> In the 24 hours after the evacuation and uh, leading up to the evacuation, their comm staffers were just working 24-7. So, you know, uh, Robin Smith, Jordan Redshaw, Brendan Prossi, uh, Amy Harper, those are all the communication staffers that were working incredibly hard just to get information out. And uh, I know for a fact that Jordan Redshaw stayed behind, he's still there. They all worked incredibly hard, and so we, uh, we all uh, owe them for that. What do you make of the exaggerations? Do you say, hey, you know, we understand breaking news is often broken? not just yourselves, but like amongst the evacuees, is there anger that we, and I have to include myself in this, and, and there's never been a story I've been more happy to have been wrong about. Is there anger that we were so quick to believe the most extreme versions of this story? Just in terms of priorities, residents are, are most fixated on just getting back to their homes and providing for themselves right now. For sure, there's frustration in terms of receiving basic services and, and information, but so far I haven't noticed a, a backlash about, you know, we've heard this inaccurate information from news outlets and we're angry about it. Vince, do you uh, agree? I noticed some anger in some of the evacuation centers. I mean, nobody was, people were just saying the media in general, they weren't really naming any outlets, but I think they're already hearing a million rumors in, in these evacuation centers and then they're, you know, they're just really looking for information and they don't know what to believe. And the anger was just about how some of the information was wrong and they, they thought that things had been worse th than they actually were? Yeah. Myself included. I mean, yeah, myself included. I, you know, now that now it's pointed out, yeah, I was kind of pissed off when I found out that, turns out, my home is not destroyed. I believe that map, it, it was done with infrared, so it showed hot areas. But I mean, like, the place where I live, it's pretty deep within that red area. So I remember looking at this map going, well... I'm homeless. Yeah. But I am kind of pissed off about it now. <laughs> Who put that map out, that erroneous map? I think it was NASA, actually. Oh, those fuckers at NASA. It's interesting, though. I mean, it, it just shows you how wrong common sense can be. I mean, the images are of this inferno. The images of the highways were just insane. And the tree line, and then you hear that it's getting worse and worse and worse. My mind goes, okay, it's hot, it's dry, the fire's getting bigger, nothing stands a chance. Like, eventually fire eats everything. And that just shows how little I know about a wildfire, because it, it seems incredible how it just completely scorched one street and then completely ignored the next. 
Oh, it wasn't just ignoring it. It was because there were firefighters and crews on the ground working very hard to divert the flames. The other day, I was speaking to a city councilor, Lance Boussier, and his home was one of the only homes that burned in the downtown area. So it's incredibly unfortunate his home of 20 years is gone. But firefighters worked quickly in that situation uh, and made sure that the flames didn't spread to the rest of the neighborhood. And that neighborhood was right across from the hospital. So that's just an example. I saw a lot of anger, not necessarily towards just the press thinking that it was a worse fire than the, the devastation was worse than it turned out to be, but specific anger towards mostly like American media coverage. When the New York Times headline ran, wildfires have consumed swaths of a Canadian town that had drawn people with fat paychecks. The headline kind of makes this connection between the high pay that made Fort McMurray such a destination for workers and the fires. Uh, you know, I mean, Warren Kinsella, who's quick to say such things, said this headline was written by an asshole. That got some play. And then in Slate, Eric Halfhouse, he wrote about the response to his coverage because he wrote stories that were very much about the relationship between climate change and wildfires, you know, with reference to this uh, fire in Fort McMurray. And uh, he became a trending topic in Canada. And he writes about how, you know, he got a lot of hate mail, calling this a dick move, disgusting, people warning him that karma will not be kind for these things that he wrote. He was defiant about that. Did you guys have a chance to read what the rest of the world was saying about this fire? Yeah, I did. The backlash truly didn't surprise me, not because it may be interpreted as insensitive, but the thing about Fort McMurray is... It can be a town that's very defensive towards outside media. I mean, for the past 10 years, you have all these journalists who come up to write about how the tar sands are terrible and how it's destroying this town. And uh, the people in Fort McMurray, they just don't like those kind of articles. I mean, when I first came to McMurray, the British version of GQ had just put out an article called um, No Country for Young Men. And it, it was basically about the white trash culture of Fort Mac. What I tell people is... The stories you hear about Fort McMurray, they're 100% completely true for certain segments of the population that you would see in a young mining town. But there's also people there who have decided to make it home. What's the breakdown? Like, how many people were born in Fort McMurray who, who, who live there? The population is a little difficult because there's this... Th they call it the shadow population. It's the people who fly in and fly out and, like... Their home base remains in Newfoundland or Nova Scotia or Ontario. Colin, you're the municipal reporter. <laughs> uh. The latest municipal census didn't really give a breakdown of ethnicity or main languages, etc. They're leaving that to the federal long-form census. And you know what? That's probably going to be compromised a bit, too, because of the fire in terms of the response rate. Right, right, of course. But uh, there are a number of uh, families in Fort McMurray that are in prominent life, and they've lived in Fort McMurray for generations. People say Fort McMurray is very diverse, and that's very true. There are people from all over the world and all, from all different cultures and backgrounds. Even the, the more recent arrivals um, who have come from somewhere else have usually been there at least 8 to 10 years, and uh, they've had time to build a life and uh, start a family or move their family to Fort McMurray. So even if uh, they weren't born and raised, there, they definitely have connections to the city that, uh, you know, if they lost their homes and, and those physical connections, it's going to be very hard on them. Yeah, I mean, not to uh, discount from any of the human tragedy of this or the, the trauma, it is a strange city. I kind of think about this and I think about New Orleans, it's almost the opposite, a place that has s steeped in history, generations and generations of people 
going back to the beginning of the country in the United States. And really, like, the problem is that there's no viable industry and people are drawn to come back and rebuild. Whereas Fort McMurray, people largely came there to make money, um, which is fine. That's how human populations have, you know, found themselves in urban centers for a very long time. But some people had roots in Fort McMurray. Many, many did not. And there, there is that shadow population, that large transient population. You know, you have to imagine that some people are just going to go and find work elsewhere. Those early thoughts that like, wow, I don't know if they're going to be able to recover from this. That was based on, I think, a conception of like, if the critical infrastructure is going to take years to rebuild, how many people are going to really wait it out? But now that it looks like it might not be such an endeavor, I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, the neighborhoods that were completely destroyed are some of Fort McMurray's oldest. So a lot of the people in those neighborhoods, they were born and raised in Fort McMurray or they had deep roots. So I mean, the resettlement plan hasn't come out, so I'm, I, I have no idea what's going to happen to them. But I can't imagine that like some people who maybe didn't even lose their homes, but maybe lost their jobs or just are traumatized by it have decided to just go fuck it and leave it is true that a lot of uh, people in fort mcmurray at least uh, the people fort mcmurray are known for have lucrative jobs in the oil sands industry however uh, there are a number of people who work in the service industry in fort mcmurray uh, taxi drivers retail workers restaurant workers etc who are struggling even before the fire so yeah if we're looking for people who might leave it, it would be maybe those people who were already struggling financially and perhaps uh, have now also lost their homes i wouldn't be surprised if they decide, you know, like that was the final straw. For the people who still have lucrative jobs, I can imagine them uh, wanting to uh, come back, you know, claim their insurance money and uh, try and rebuild and, and find a new place to live in the same community. You know, I hate to be that guy. However, the local economy was struggling and now there's this reason for all these construction companies now to show up and do something. I mean, a few of my friends, including some of my roommates, worked in the construction industry and they were getting seriously worried about whether or not they were going to get contracts this spring. And uh, there are some economic opportunities uh, for this. Yeah. Let me be that guy and ask a, a very uncomfortable question. Putting aside all of this bullshit finger wagging karma this and you know it, I, it's the height of hypocrisy to me because we in the cities of course consume the product that is derived in fort mcmurray so the, if there's karma then we better watch out here but aside from that completely there is a growing movement in this country for divesting from natural resources maybe expressed in in the most extreme way by the leap manifesto but also the current government has said uh, you know ingenuity innovation not resources let's you know move towards this other thing so divestment is sort of in the air along with the time when oil is not as lucrative a business as it used to be so do you fear and do the people that you are talking to and the other evacuees fear that this will be seized upon as a reason to not reinvest in Fort McMurray and to sort of pivot where the resources are placed. I haven't really heard those when I've been speaking with evacuees. However, you know, I have heard that quite a few people have realized that now is an opportunity to kind of rethink Fort McMurray's role in the country. I know that that conversation was already starting to happen now that it's become more and more apparent that even energy companies themselves are starting to invest in renewable energies. But I haven't really heard that conversation from evacuees right now. What they're thinking is, 
when am I going to go home and where am I going to live in the meantime? I mean, I'm sure it'll happen soon. Again, like a lot of people were starting to think about renewable energies and how Fort McMurray can get in on that, or if it's even possible for Fort McMurray to get in on that. But there always will be a market for petroleum this century, I'm sure. It'll be a smaller market, I'm sure. However, there will always be that desire for it. What did you guys learn about your jobs during this crisis? Well, I guess we learned that we really love our jobs. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we decided it was time to leave the office when the community of waterways was being evacuated, and that's maybe about a block or two away from our office. And we decided, like I said before, we'll regroup in Anzac. Our top priority when we got there was, okay, how do we keep covering? Not, okay, let's go get a hotel in Calgary and wait this out. But in terms of what was happening, I guess it, it was very important that... Well, the majority of our readers were probably behind the wheel, and uh, that once you get south of McMurray, the reception is pretty bad. However, it was important that we let people outside of McMurray, especially people with family and friends in the city, know exactly what was happening. I mean, filing a story from the side of a gas station with a thousand other people waiting for gas was uh, definitely interesting. Yeah. I would say that uh, definitely the one of the pressures that I felt was just that we were the media sources with the most local information, us and the other local radio stations. So myself and Vince and uh, our sports reporter Rob Murray were all just trying to get out as, as uh, much of that information as we could in the early hours. And then even after uh, more media outlets started to cover it, I still felt that onus to really find out what, what would be important to the residents of Fort McMurray and also just try and inform people outside of Fort McMurray what's truly important and what's at risk in the fire. We talked about the First Nations communities and how they were being affected by it. And uh, there were news outlets that started to pick up on that story, but uh, we knew how important it was to tell people just how those smaller communities that not many people know about were faring because of the evacuation. Yeah, you could sort of be like Sherpas for the uh, parachuted in journalists and tell them what's important and who's who and what's what. And I, I did get a couple of phone calls from journalists uh, looking for that. but uh, <laughs> I had to stop yeah. responding. It, it became too overwhelming when I got reporters from two newspapers in Rio wanting comment. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, guys, I, I got to keep going. And are you going to keep going? Is there word from Post Media on if... Fort McMurray today is going to keep publishing? I don't even know how and where and how that would work. Is it a going concern? Well, our office survived, and uh, we are publishing out of a printing press in Leduc, just south of Edmonton, and it's being distributed to evacuation centers in Lacklebish, St. Paul, uh, the arena in Edmonton, and we're trying to get it out to uh, some campuses where a lot of evacuees are staying. That's it. You've solved print media. If all the readers are just concentrated in five or six different evacuation centers, then distribution gets a lot cheaper. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, and we're also, of course, maintaining uh, our website. The advantage of a small room, newsroom is that we're all trained in how to handle uh, the back end of putting our own articles online and through social media, etc. So we're able to continue that even out of the Edmonton Journal office. That was your Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me always at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read all of your emails and I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. 
Cullen and Vincent had to go. They're on deadline, but you can reach them both on Twitter. Cullen Bird is at Cullen Bird. That's C-U-L-L-E-N Bird. And Vincent McDermott is on Twitter at Vince, M-C-D-E-R-M-O-T-T. And they both write for Fort Mac Today. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is at patreon.com slash canadaland. The next episode of Canada Land will be up on Monday. The next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday. I make the show with Kevin Sexton, the guy who puts together the syndicated version of Canada Land for community and campus radio stations across this country is Russell Gregg. If you like what we do, please support us. Hey, is there anything we didn't talk about that you were hoping we might? If there's one thing to mention, like there have been a couple of people that have just talked about like our bravery in taking, like you talked about on your show in terms of like our bravery in taking pictures and video of the flames. Just one thing that might not have been apparent, we were actually just trying to get the hell out of town. <laughs> like the, the flames were just that close to us. So like, of course we were trying to report as we left, but it was dangerous enough that we just wanted to get out of there. And there were hundreds of people making that same trip at the same time as us just in case anyone thinks that I want to be a war correspondent or something.